All right. No, 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 no. I'm not ready. He's not ready. Uh, where's my dog? Okay, I'm gonna wing it. He's good. The water. No, the water tastes like I just had coffee in it. Ah, lovely. <laughs> because I do. All right. Ready? Let's do it. Welcome back to season two, episode five of From the Ridge. Uh, we have on our show the favorite guest of the show, Jacob Piro, our spiritual formation and discipleship pastor here at Northridge. And today, uh, after a couple of weeks off, we are discussing two sermons. Yes. Uh, Fred and Carolyn have both preached on the law and the tabernacle. So in the Israelite story, it is the part of the story where Moses leads them out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. uh, and now what kind of deal? Yep. And this is where we're picking up. Mm -hmm. So Jacob, can you summarize kind of the two messages for us? Summarize the second half of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Yeah, all three. Got it. Got it. Um, quickly, please. Quickly. Essentially, as you said, the Israelites are now at the base of Mount Sinai and God renews the covenant that he made with Abraham um, and tells the Israelite people that he wants them to be his nation of priests, right? So in, in Exodus 19, we say, we see, now you if, if you obey me fully and keep my commands, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world or earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so in that, we see God's desire for the Israelite people to be his set apart hmm. uh, priests, right? His chosen representatives. Uh, and as a priest, we know as someone who who represents God to the people and someone who represents the people to, before God. And so we see the terms of this covenant given in this law that instructs the Israelites how they can be that kingdom of priests hmm. in their time and their place. Uh, and so there's basically all these laws that they are, are to follow. Um, and in Fred's message, he unpacked the idea that kind of you can, there's 600 and how many laws? I can't 13. remember. 613? 613. Well done. Um, but you can really just kind of merge them down into two, to love God and to love others. Hmm. And then in Carolyn's message, um, mixed into all of those laws, um, we see the laws that pertain to purity and the tabernacle. And so basically the, the premise that she impacts is that God wanting to dwell with his people um, establishes this tent or this tabernacle that his, that his presence will inhabit. Um, and the cool thing she pointed out is that this tabernacle, there's so much imagery in the way that it's very God, God provides detailed instruction on how it's supposed to be crafted. Mm -hmm. It's really just kind of bringing us back to the garden, um, from the way it's constructed to the the cherubim on the curtains to the images of trees and plants and fruit. Right? It's all just like this mm. is the now the space where man and God can dwell. Um, and so, because the issue of sin is still not addressed, there's obviously lots of purity regulations around who and what and when people can enter. Um, which, mm. as Carolyn pointed out to us, really just highlights the holiness of God. Um, and then both messages, as we've kind of been doing throughout the course of this series, eventually accumulate with the idea of how Jesus ultimately is the one that provided us complete, 
communion with God by fulfilling the demands of the law, by by transferring his holiness to us so that we can reside in the same space as God mm. and it, it no longer being based on my ability to not sin, but on what Christ has done on, on my behalf. So mm. essentially the last two sermons in and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy summed up in, I don't know, two minutes? Two minutes, two and a half minutes maybe. Excellent. Yes, this beautiful imagery of, and kind of this this message we've seen littered throughout the sermon that God has desired to be in relationship mm-hmm. with his created beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has made a covenant, a desire to be in relationship, and he has made a way for that to continue to happen mm-hmm. in spite of the sin mm-hmm. of uh, humanity yep. and the desire to be our own gods. Yeah. And so in light of a lot of these laws, there's mm-hmm. often questions that surround mm-hmm. it. We're not only contextualizing a text that is millennium ago, uh, but we live in a different age and a different culture. And so there's mm-hmm. some questions that can surface yeah. when we do dig into the text. And so one question that did come in this week uh, was in regards to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And in it, it says, the woman is impure, uh, for seven days after giving birth to a male, and 14 days if she gives birth to a female. The question is, why is this the case? Is it communicating some kind of gender hierarchy, or that women are impure more than men? Uh, the person continues to ask, I don't get the vibe in the teachings of Jesus that this is the case, that there's mm-hmm. this hierarchy, but it's hard not to see that message being communicated here mm-hmm. in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. So how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. How are you going to kind of make sense of what we see in Leviticus chapter 12? Yeah. Um, so I'm no expert on the law. No? Uh, no, I'm not. Um trying to be as we've kind of been mm. reading through it together as a church and um yeah so the exact reason why a woman is more impure uh, or for a longer period of time after a female versus a male i don't have the exact answer i know some people will say it could be because uh part of the law requires uh the male child to be circumcised on the eighth day so in order to do that in the temple he had to be impure deemed pure to enter and be circumcised. So maybe that's part of it. Um, I know. Process after yeah, I know. I, I looked up that particular uh, law in in preparation. And if you do keep reading, the um, like the the offering that's presented at the tent of meeting um, is the same for a boy and a girl. And so mm-hmm. even though there's that difference in the length of the impurity. The, the the offering presented to God on behalf of that child is the same. So that kind of challenges that hierarchical reading of of like that particular law. If you have a boy, you circumcise or you uh, sacrifice a bull. And yeah, it's a yeah. Bull and it's a um, dove kind of yeah. thing. It's so the that's, same sacrifice. Yeah. To so God. that that could be a potential response to that. Um, it's the exact answer. I'm not entirely sure. But what's definitely sitting underneath the surface of this question is that because the woman the the woman is more is ceremonial uncle, ceremonially unclean for longer mm-hmm. that that necessarily it says something about like the the cleanliness of women versus men or that that ceremonial impurities have something to do with like sin or something that's like not good um, 
which is not really the case when it comes to the law. And hmm. and as I've, I remember taking a course in undergrad that was insanely helpful, of course, that I took with you, insanely yeah. helpful at understanding the, um, the purity system within the Israelite culture that we see presented in mm-hmm. the Torah that would definitely speak into this question. Yeah. And so... Um, there's four terms that are really helpful at understand that like you need to understand two sets of terms. So there is there is holy and there is profane. There is pure and there is impure. Mm. All four words mean something completely different. Right. And sometimes we jumble them together and then we lead to conclusions like, oh, women are not as good as men. But that's not the case. So holy and profane are opposites. Yes. To be holy is simply to be set apart. Hmm. Now, we often attribute that to like being morally set apart, and it can mean that, but its general definition, it's not limited to just morality. It's just simply to be set apart, right? So if a common example is like your fine china, if you have that at home, I don't have that. No. But some people have fine china. (laughs) Um, You can define your fine china as holy, right? China has, like it's not moral or immoral it's a plate right but it's set apart and only used in particular particular situations right um it is not something you use every day it is it is set apart and it is holy versus profane just means something that is commonly used right so if your china is holy your regular dinnerware that you pull out of your your cabinet every day is profane now again we often think profane implies like dirty or sinful it doesn't really in the, in the biblical language it just means something that's used every day hmm. so holy and profane opposite terms and not to be mixed up with two other words that we often see in in the law that is pure and impure so something that is pure is simply something that is clean that lacks impurities and something that is impure is the opposite something that is not clean or that contains some kind of impurity. And as you read through the law, you'll see there are a few different types. Well, there's two main different types of impurities. You can be Mm -hmm. morally impure, or you can be ritually impure. And so a ritual impurity are things that are unavoidable, that things that just happen and that we interact with day to day that are not inherently sinful, but just put us in a state of of ritual impurity again mm-hmm. not sinful things so the common ways we see this happen is this if you interact with a corpse or if you have a defiling skin condition or some kind of bodily discharge uh things that are often linked with life and death right in the israelite um, culture they would view these things as associated with death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, death so, is impure yep Purity, therefore. So when you interact with them, its impurity gets transferred to you and you become ritually impure. Mm -hmm. Again, lots of these things are things like that are unavoidable, like a husband and a wife having sex or a woman on her monthly period or disposing of a a family member who's just passed away. Like these are things, impurities that you are going to be hit with at some point in your life. Um, you just have to deal with them, which is what the law provides an opportunity to deal with those so that they can interact with the holy. And then you also have moral impurities, right? Which are actions committed by a person that inherently break the law of God and that usually have to do with justice or um, like how God 
instructs us to interact with one another in loving relationships. The breaking of that is inherently sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you basically have four categories or states that someone can be in at any part- or an object can be in at any particular time. You can be holy and pure, you can be holy and impure, or you can be profane and pure, or you can be profane and holy. Right. And all of that to say, what the Torah or the Pentateuch tell us is that the big no-no, the big like do not do this, right. is to take something that is impure, is in a state of impurity, whether that be morally or ritually, and bring that into the presence of something that is holy. Hmm. Right, which is why we see so many laws and regu- regulations about making someone pure so that they can enter, for example, the temple, which is a place that is holy because it is the place where God inhabits and is set apart and has set apart. Hmm. And so, <laughs> to bring it back to the question you originally asked, um, in in terms of like are women inherently more sinful or or worse based on that law well that law is sp- speaking to a ritual impurity mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with sin sin the sin would then be to ignore the fact that you are now ritually impure right and to walk on into the holy of holies that would have been sinful but but the the actual act of giving birth is not sinful even though it makes you ritually impure so right we can't conflate the two together. yeah to read into that law as in like oh this is speaking to some idea of like creating a hierarchy between men and women mm-hmm. uh that's not really the case so yeah i i don't have the exact answer as to why there is a difference but i know that the difference does not communicate any kind of women are more inherently sinful or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it kind of, when we we frame it uh, as those four different states of being, mm-hmm. um, it helps us make sense a little bit more of the laws that we see because we often, um, perhaps in our desire to like simplify the text, think of um, impurity as sinful, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't make sense. Like it, it just doesn't uh, across culture across time Mm -hmm. and doesn't make sense that a bodily discharge would be sinful Mm -hmm. Uh, we think of the time in jesus's time when she he heals the woman yeah who's been bleeding for who's been bleeding years she's not sinful no but she can't enter the temple and Mm -hmm. so we often think well that seems like a ridiculous why Mm -hmm. that's not sinful but Mm -hmm. no there's there's this distinction Mm -hmm. between holy and profane yeah and pure and impure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even understanding kind of this terminology and then reading that story mm. opens us up to actually what's happening in that passage because you have this woman who is unable to enter the presence of God in the temple because she is ritually impure. And so Jesus' healing is, yes, healing her of a physical ailment, Right. But it's also just representative of his entire mission and ministry to to bring, create a way for people to enter into the presence of God by healing her of something that was literally in preventing her from, from worshiping with her community and in the presence of God. And yeah. so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a understanding kind of those categorizations is, is critical 
to kind of opening us up to what the law is actually telling us and the stories of the New Testament are communicating yeah. with this as its framework. Um, now, I understand that it's it's a lot easily easier. I'm a visual learner. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to understand this visually. So we will attach a link to a document that kind of unpacks basically what I said, just more visually with those four key terms to understand that that hopefully will be helpful to you as we continue to read through. Mm-hmm. I know we've gotten through Leviticus as a church, but we're about <laughs> to eventually we'll get back to Deuteronomy. So it will be helpful as we travel through that. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I think in examining it in this way, uh, these four different states, it also helps make sense of what we've seen throughout this idea of sharing space with God, mm-hmm. uh, that God is set apart, is holy. Um, and that's why Adam and Eve were kicked from the garden. Mm-hmm. We see right at the beginning mm-hmm. because those two cannot share space together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beautiful thing is that as we've been seeing time and time again, the grace of God mm-hmm. is just continually reiterated. Mm-hmm. Now getting back to the question, um, there were two questions that came in, uh, but they're kind of similar. So I'll try to synthesize the two. Mm-hmm. So Fred said that the law was to help us love God and love others. Uh, but can you help expand on what this means? How does the law help us love others better? Mm-hmm. And then I can follow up question here. Can you clarify the difference between the sacrificial cleanliness laws and the moral laws? I think we touched on it already. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in which ones are to be still upheld? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if we think of that first question, it's right. Fred in his message did talk about how the entire law can be summarized by that phrase, love God and love others. And that was not a Fred idea. Uh, He got that directly from the text. So if you think of a passage like Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says, and now O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. And that's something that Jesus himself agreed with, right? If that, mm-hmm. that story of the Pharisees asking Jesus, trying to trip him up, what's the most important law? What's his response? The exact same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Then he adds, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so the law was given to reveal the nature of God, right? His character and what is required of his people, his covenant people to be that family of priests, right? Mm. And how to love God and to love others. But as I think about those two questions that came in, um, I think both of them are are in some way getting at the idea of like, okay, I understand that that was true of the Israelite people living then, Mm -hmm. but how does that pertain to Jacob Pirro or Nathan Allen living in Newmarket or Uxbridge in (laughs) 21st century? Like, how do I, what am I supposed to do with these things? Like, okay. And how would these laws help me love anybody around yeah, me any better? Like, like, that doesn't make any are sense. Are there some that apply to me? Are there some that don't? Do I have to listen to them all? Do I have to listen to none of them? Like, what do we do with it? And so 
there are many answers to that question that you mm-hmm. will find out there. Uh, and depending on your church tradition growing up, maybe they may have answered them slightly differently. Um, I've, I've put down on paper a few that I've heard, uh, not necessarily overly popular ones all the time, but just things that I've heard. So there are some people will answer that question by saying, it's the Bible, it's in there, you've got to follow it. All of it. All of it. And to that, I say that's not even really possible because um, the laws were written to a people in a completely different time and culture, right? There is no tabernacle or temple for me to go to. Um, mm-hmm. Even if there was, I don't know how to get my hands on a sheep. Yeah, no sacrifices. <laughs> there sacrifice, like it's that the, the law was written to reveal, yes, the character of God, but did so embodied through a language and imagery of a culture that was like tribal living in the hills of Israel and Judah 3,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that is not the setting that you and I find ourselves in. Right. And so that can't be the answer. To just follow it all, that can't necessarily be the answer because it's not even possible. There are some who will say if the New Testament quotes it, then uh, we should follow it, which is okay, except like, the New Testament, like not even all of the Ten Commandments are quoted in the New Testament. So it's like, that's an awkward division to say like, oh, we'll follow half of the Ten Commandments and not right. the other half. Yep. That seems like an interesting way to go about it. One that I wouldn't advocate for. Um, there are some that just say the Ten Commandments and that's it. Um, like, keep the Ten Commandments and you are in the clear. The problem with that, if I use like the Sabbath as an example, is that like in the 21st century West, like who is following the Sabbath the way that the Israelites were commanded to follow the Sabbath? Like not many, mm-hmm. in which case like, oh shoot, we are all doing a horrible job. Um, again, okay, maybe that's the answer, but it's it's certainly not one I would advocate for because I think it comes with its challenges. And another, this is like the final, like really popular one, I think that's out there that is certainly implied in that question that we saw come in that kind of broke the law down into the moral laws, the civil laws and the ceremonial laws. And this is a division that is quite popular and helpful, right? Like it's in terms of trying to figure out, okay, what kind of laws are listed in the Torah, right? You have some laws that are moral laws, like how to treat one another, how to interact with one another, like don't murder, don't commit adultery stuff like that. You have civil laws, right? Like how the covenant family of God was meant to conduct themselves like as a society. Like what are you supposed to do if like one law I wrote down, if someone breaks into your house and it's dark and you hit them and they die, that you're not actually guilty of murder, right? Laws like that 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 speak into how a society should run. And then you have ceremonial laws, right? That pertain to the sacrifices, the day of atonement, the purification rituals and all that stuff. And so a categorization that that we see kind of in what I've unpacked and in that question is helpful to just understand what exactly is in the text. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the, the template you should use to figure out if a certain law applies to me or not, Hmm. right? Because I think in that question, what they're implying and what I know lots of people would adhere to is that 
we don't have to follow the civil laws because we're not ancient Israel and we don't have to follow the ceremonial laws because we're also not ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. um, but we should follow the moral laws, right? How to treat one another. And, and the reason I wouldn't say that's the greatest way to figure out whether a law applies to you or not is because that threefold distinction between what kind of law something is, is a framework that would have been foreign to Moses and the Israelites when they received the law. It wasn't That's not how it was presented to them in that threefold distinction. It's not a categorization that we see Jesus use. And it's not a categorization that we see the writers of the New Testament use either. right? And those are the people who spoke into a believer's relationship to the law. Hmm. Yet in their unpacking of that question, their answer did not relate anything to do with that kind of threefold system. So again, that's not to say it's a bad categorization. It's helpful to understand what's in there, but maybe that's not necessarily the place you go to to figure out if something applies to you or not. And so, I mean, we've listed a bunch of theories and we've basically said none of those are great. So mm -hmm. what is it? What is it? Um, like, how do we know if something applies to us or not? And it's an excellent question. It's one that I feel like I, I am starting to understand, but certainly my knowledge on this is continuing to grow mm -hmm. um, as I continue to engage in the text myself. Um, but one thing I will say that um, we'll, we'll post some links to some Tim Mackey teaching on this um, because there's, there's something that I, I know he said in a podcast that I've listened to that has been helpful for me exactly understanding my relationship with the law. And that is when he's asked, how do you know which laws apply to me and which don't? His answer is, in some way, none of them apply to you. Hmm. And in another way, all of them apply to you. <laughs> and when he says that, what he means is that in terms of none of them apply to you, the Bible is a narrative, as we've been talking about, and the laws appear at a particular point in the narrative, right? Closer to the beginning than the end. Mm -hmm. And as disciples of Jesus, we also can kind of put ourselves in the narrative in this unfolding story of God's plan for humanity. But we're in the narrative way over here, right? And the law was the terms of the covenant that God was entering into the nation of Israel over here, not 21st century Jacob living in, in Newmarket. So I am not... An ancient Israelites. And so in that sense, none of the laws apply to me. Hmm. But in the other sense, all of them apply to me because the purpose of the law was to create a people who were wise and understanding and who could live in right relationship with God and with others, hmm. right? Because the laws themselves reveal the wisdom and the character of God, hmm. right? And, and we see in Deuteronomy 5, this is how Moses saw the law. He said, so to be careful, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. And so even in that, just that one verse itself, you see him link the the law to the narrative of the Bible, right? The Israelites are about to enter into the promised land. And so he says, obey these laws as they will prolong your days in this promised land. That's so linked to the narrative itself. But we also see that the law 
Moses say that the law will allow them to prosper because there is divine wisdom in these laws mm. that reflect the character and the nature of God. And that there is wisdom that can be extrapolated from the law that can speak into other times and cultures. And, and if you fast forward to Jesus, and um, again, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. So how did he treat the law and what did he do with it? Um, and if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example, a place where he's quoting the law quite a bit, um, even just in his unpacking of like the law, do not murder. He doesn't just say like, oh, this law still applies to you, so don't murder. Right? He takes it and he finds the divine wisdom that, that sits underneath the surface, right? And he uses it to unpack feelings of anger and contempt and pride. And, and so he takes this divine wisdom far beyond just like do this. Like it's not just don't murder. It's, it's so much more than that. And so, again, as disciples of Jesus, looking to his example is helpful in, in terms of how to find the underlying divine wisdom that sits in these, these laws. Um, we were reading last week. I highlighted this one as I was going through it. Leviticus 23, 22 where it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of, of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner living among you. And so if your question is just, does this apply to me or not? Well, it's like, okay, I don't own a farm. It doesn't really apply to me. But if you're looking for the divine wisdom and character of God revealed in this, then you realize, oh, God cares about the poor and the foreigners. Mm. And in whatever capacity I can, he's, he's wanting me to live my life in such a way where I'm looking out for them and doing what I can in whatever I own or possess to make sure these people are cared for and loved. And so bringing it full circle, if we're, if we're trying to figure out or yeah, figure out what to do with the law as we read through it, I think it is looking for that divine wisdom and character of God that he reveals through the text. And so, yes, it's given to a, a culture that's not my culture. And so it can be challenging to, mm -hmm. to sift through all that and figure out, okay, what is actually communicating. But I think that that process of going through that is the process we're meant to go through um, as we engage in the law and not just leaving it as, do I have to do this or do I not have to do this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Now, again, we kind of flew through that. I didn't provide many examples. So we'll, as always, list some, some uh, helpful resources for you that will unpack them uh, a little bit better than <laughs> right. probably I did. In the, in the brief window that we have yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, the, the idea is, is quite clear that God has revealed and chosen to reveal his character in and through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. uh, but we live in a different time and context. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to see the way in which um, God has communicated his will, his best intent, and apply it into our age and culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's um, the best practice is not to just dismiss the laws in and of mm -hmm. themselves, which I think we can be tempted to do. We it's can very throw, easy to do. Throw out just all the Old Testament and just stick with Jesus' yeah. words. Mm -hmm. What we've been challenged, though, is uh, God and Jesus mm -hmm. points to the Old Testament, mm -hmm. points to the laws. Yeah. Um, 
I think I think something that I realized a few years ago that was really helpful for helping me not just dismiss it because I think from our end post Jesus post death resurrection um we often look back at the old testament and think oh it's just a bunch of rules it was legalistic like god just said do this don't do this the people messed up they're always in conflict like why do i even need to bother with all of that um but then you read like the psalms and listen to them describe the character of god and they haven't witnessed any of jesus's teachings or ministry and when they reflect on the nature of God, it is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Mm. And so that that stuff has to be in the Old Testament, and it is. We can't just dismiss the Old Testament. No, you definitely can't. Not. And so for us to look back on their their time of like the faith and think, oh, it's just legalistic, it's like that's not fair for us to conclude because they themselves didn't, didn't see it that way. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, I think that was an encouragement to me to realize, oh, as I go through the laws and the ways in which God has instructed his people to live, like his his divine character is revealed in that way. And mm -hmm. through his interaction with his people, you see it. Um, the same God that we worship today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's that been helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Same trying God, the same yeah. God of the Old Testament mm -hmm. as revealed through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. and has given to, to us through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't easily pull those two yeah, apart. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's good. And and like we said kind of throughout, these are like weighty, these are difficult things to mm -hmm. understand and unpack. Uh, people literally spend their entire lives yeah. studying this um, and making sense of the laws, the uh, the way in which... Uh, we see God communicate to the Israelite peoples in that time and place mm -hmm. and what it means for us today. So uh, take some time, dig into the resources that we provide. Mm -hmm. uh, they're helpful resources. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, in doing so, you'll have a greater appreciation uh, for what we see throughout the text. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of concludes our podcast for the day. Mm -hmm. The questions that came in, continue sending questions if you have them during the sermon. This week, I'll be preaching, so if you have questions, uh, Jacob... Are we switching roles next we week, might then? Have to Am switch I roles? hosting? We may have to switch uh -huh. roles next week. But Let's get some hard-hitting questions, <laughs> friends. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, uh, listening to this week's podcast. We look forward to seeing you in the Version Bible Plan yes, sir. at Focus Groups of the Week and on Sunday. Take care.